You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. John chapter 18, as we kind of turn the page, so to speak, on... Uh, Another section of the Gospel of John, really the last section of the Gospel of John, and what is the climax of this story. Um, What is the climax, really, of the whole Bible, namely the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. For so many uh, Uh, Weeks now we have heard Jesus say either the hour has not yet come or the hour has come and we've still kind of been waiting on this turn toward the cross. And just as we've walked through the whole gospel and seen the cross in every story, it's not yet become the center main event. But here it does. We turn the corner and as we Uh, Look at this purpose that we've seen for uh, uh, over a year now, namely that we would uh, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. This is the very moment of belief when we trust what Christ has done for us on the cross. It's the landing point of the four Gospels of the Bible It's the landing point of every story in the Bible, and it should be the landing point of the mission of God and of, therefore, the church. The gospel must be central. And, of course, the gospel includes all that Jesus accomplished on the cross, right? So the forgiveness of sins and the satisfaction of the wrath of God and the purchasing of a people and all of those things that were accomplished through Jesus' death, but not just what he accomplished. This comes to the very most basic level of what Jesus actually did. And I would say to you this morning that it is a story that must not ever grow old or be taken for granted. The gospel is the very center of everything that we are as a people. Paul said to the Corinthian church, and when I came... Brothers, did I did not come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And listen to what he said. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The message of the cross and the resurrection is the central message of the Bible. And it must be the central message of our lives. Certainly that would be true for someone who does not yet know Jesus. The very way of salvation has been provided, and He is the only way. Jesus is the only way of salvation. And so if we're going to be saved, it is through what Jesus did on the cross. It's the only way. At the same time, it's true for every believer 
in the sense that the cross now becomes the way through which we live our lives. Crucified in Christ, raised to life in Christ, to live in Him, in His likeness. This is the way we've been called to live. So this is the moment that all of John's Gospel awaits. The so-called hour. Even from John 12, after Jesus announced, or after Jesus rather was anointed by Mary, you'll remember that he said that this is for the hour of his death. And as we think about those words in John chapter 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. We know now what hour Jesus was speaking of. And so we come to the final transition of John's gospel. The time of miracles and ministry is over. The time of teaching and encouragement is basically over. And the time has come for Jesus to go to the cross. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. As we begin together, chapter 18 and verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words... He went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where they where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back And fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I've lost not one. Then Simon Peter having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Would you pray with me? Father, I pray now that we would see in this familiar story your Word, that we would hear your voice, that we would understand what it is that you have done in the gospel. And Lord, I pray that if there's one here who's never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would save them today. That they would see and feel the weight of their sin, and that they would see the glory of one who has come to die for them and repent and believe and trust in him with all of their hearts, I pray, and be saved. Lord, would you remind us as believers how good this gospel is through which we've been saved. And may you receive glory and honor through our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
So the scene here is the arrest of Jesus. If you were to divide this story into acts, that would be this first act. This is something that the religious leaders had been trying to do all the way back to John chapter 7. Do you remember? John chapter 7, Jesus was teaching in the temple at the Feast of Booths, and the authorities were seeking to kill Jesus And the critical question was asked by someone in the crowd. Can these authorities really know that this is the Christ? And remember, that's the question of this whole gospel. That we would know that Jesus is the Christ. Well, this didn't sit right with the authorities and they wanted to silence the message. And so in so doing, they sought from this day forward to arrest Jesus. John 7 and verse 30 says that they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Well, here's the hour. Here's the moment. And they come with torches blazing and weapons ready to arrest Jesus. So Jesus and the 11 disciples that were remaining, because remember at this point, Judas had already abandoned the group. He had already gone to betray Jesus. They had been traveling on foot from the upper room. The place where Jesus had washed their feet and taught them so much. They had stopped on the journey to pray together as Jesus spent that entire last chapter that we looked at praying over his disciples. And they passed through the Kidron Valley, which actually lies, if you're familiar with Israel at all, it lies between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. There at the base of the Mount of Olives is a place called the Garden of Gethsemane or oil press. Really, in in modern terms, it really is not as much a garden as an orchard uh, or a grove. There were olive trees that were planted there, and it was one of the primary things that uh, Israel used in various ways and in making things or in living and cooking and those kinds of things. And, And so they come to this place where they would meet often to pray. It was a place Jesus loved. We know from Matthew, Mark, and Luke that They came there and Jesus actually did steal away to himself to pray with the Father. John leaves that detail out. And the exchange between Jesus and the disciples, John doesn't tell us about that detail. Instead, he moves directly to the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. So that's what you find in verse 2. Read along with me. Now Judas, who betrayed him, that's the one that had gone out, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples And it says that Judas, having procured a band of soldiers, a whole group of soldiers, some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Almost get a picture of Shrek, right? Of all of these people coming to look for the ogre. As if Jesus had totally disrupted their lives. And here's all of these people with torches and chanting and coming after Jesus. Again, it was the place they would go and pray, and Judas was with them. Judas knew exactly where to find Jesus. But this, of course, was a part of Jesus' plan, remember? Jesus called Judas out. Over in John chapter 13, they're there in the upper room. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And after being questioned by the group, He dipped the bread and gave it to Judas as a sign that he was the betrayer. And he told Judas, what you do, go out and do quickly. 
So Judas, of course, sold Jesus out. And this is the moment where he's re-entering the story. It was a fateful, fateful kind of a meeting. One commentator wrote, This fateful, final, earthly meeting of Judas was, uh, with Jesus is almost presented by John as a clash between good and evil, where the traitor knows and violates the sacred place of retreat for his blameless victim. This is the moment. And they arrive with a band of soldiers, the text says, carrying lanterns and weapons, expecting to take Jesus by force. That's the goal. And so this band or auxiliary or cohort, as it would be translated, or tribune, could be as much as or as many as a thousand men. Uh, some would divide this into 760 foot soldiers and 240 cavalry. This is what we know from historical records. And it was led by a captain. You'll see that captain a little later in the text. The practice of a cohort, cohort normally, even though that was what was on paper, normally numbered about 600 men, but it also could refer to as little as 200. That's a lot of people, right? Think about the irony of this. All of those men with torches, armed with weapons, to come after one man and arrest him. See, they knew who Jesus was, and they were expecting a war. But that's not what happened. What's, in, what's incredibly interesting is the opposite happened. Even in this brute force attack, this attempt to arrest Jesus, not only does Jesus make no attempt to resist, but he actually turns himself in, so to speak. And in this commanding power over those who are arresting him, he sets the pace. He sets the tone. He defines the terms. Right? So we see that in verse 4. Then Jesus, listen to what it says, knowing all that would happen to him. There's a picture of his sovereignty. He knew, he knew everything already. Came forward and said to them, asking whom you seek. Of course, he knew that already. And he says to them, I am he. He, he makes it known that he's the one they're searching for. He's turning himself in. Verse 6, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell all around. They fell to the ground. Picture again of Jesus commanding authority over those who were coming to arrest him. But even in that moment, it's like he pulls them off the ground and says, who again was, you, was it that you were looking for? And Jesus says, I'm he. Let these men go. This was said to fulfill that statement that he prayed, John 17, that he would not lose one. Then this servant, his ear, his ear is cut off. Peter tries to cut his ear off to stop the whole thing. And Jesus says, oh, no, no. No, I've got to complete my mission. And Jesus stops that, showing again his authority. The things that John emphasizes here are the things that he does, that the rest, uh, he, he emphasizes certain things and he doesn't tell us certain things in order to bring out a point. If we try to fill in the details from the rest of the Gospels, we'll miss that point. The point is that every attempt to force Jesus to do what he did not want to do or to be arrested, and every attempt to thwart that, to stop it, 
Jesus stands in the way of. It's as if in this moment, all of this army is not in control. And in this moment, Peter's not in control. In this moment, Jesus is in control. Even though he's being arrested, he has the commanding power over those who would successfully arrest him and ultimately put him to death. He knew all that was going to happen. Twice, he, instead of concealing his identity, confesses his identity. They fall to the ground before him because they are afraid of him. And even Peter, one of his followers, decided to fight back and Jesus stopped him. said, put your sword away. This is something I must do. You see, Jesus in this moment is completely in control. And yet... He is going to be crucified by lawless men. I want you to get this. The sovereign Son of God, not poor, helpless, pitiful Son of God, the sovereign Son of God gave Himself over to death. And He did so willingly so that we could live. Jesus, who is in complete control, gave Himself away willingly to death so that we could live. This is huge when we think about our gospel and we think about the things that we often believe and talk about and even preach and teach. It's so big that we understand that our approach to the gospel oftentimes is characterized by a poor, pitiful Jesus mentality. How could they do this to our Savior? How could they kill Him like this? The physical agony is one that that kind of pulls at our heartstrings and makes us kind of feel bad for Jesus, to have compassion on Him in His suffering. Our sense of justice says we, we want to rise up and we want to stand in defense of this Jesus because it was unjust what they did to Him. He's often portrayed as this timid, helpless, defenseless, needy Savior. But church, we do not have a helpless, defenseless, needy Savior. He is no poor, pitiful Jesus. The major force in this story is not what they did to Him but what He did for us. And He, Jesus, is the one with the commanding power and sovereign control, even in giving Himself over to death, even death on a cross. He was a king. He is a king. And He went willingly for us. And in His sovereignty, In giving Himself for us, He made it possible that we would no longer die, but that we would ultimately live forever with Him. See, the sovereign Son of God gave Himself willingly. No one took His life from Him. That's what He said in John 10. This is just just the playing out of what we've read. It's the playing out of everything that He preached. John 10, 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 
Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father in complete control and total sacrifice. Jesus goes to the cross and he does so in such a way that no one was going to take his life from him and no one was stop him either. Not these Roman guards, nor Peter. Jesus gave himself up for the sake of sinners. It's an amazing picture. It's an amazing picture. In our traditional hero stories, normally, the hero is the one who finally his life is taken, and everyone celebrates what that life provided. Jesus is the hero who remained in control from beginning to end and remains in control to this day. We have a sovereign king. That means some things for us in the gospel. Jesus laying down his life willingly and it not being taken from him means some very real and practical things for us. Whether you're here this morning and you know Jesus as Lord and Savior or whether you're here this morning and you do not yet know Christ. Understand that this is monumental. It is huge for those who know Jesus to realize that Jesus did this willingly and that he remains king. It means, number one, that Jesus fully knew the cost of sin and he chose to pay it. Jesus fully knew the cost of sin and he chose to pay it. Verse 4, huge here. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. You think about what was about to take place and what we're going to see over the coming weeks. Jesus knew every moment of pain. Jesus knew all the displeasure of the Father that was going to be poured out on him. Jesus knew all of it. And in all of that suffering, he said, I'm going. He knew all that would happen to him from beginning to end. And not just in this moment. Jesus knew this from eternity past. In fact, he not only knew it, it was all a part of the plan. He planned to go to the cross. Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. And what that means is that the cross was always the plan. And Jesus came anyway. He chose it. It's not something that He had to do by being compelled to go to the cross. It's something that Jesus chose to do. The fact that anybody would choose that suffering for anybody else is an amazing thing especially one who did not deserve it. And Jesus went to the cross, innocent for us by choice. He knew all that was coming. And in full knowledge of what was coming, He came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? He turned Himself in. Jesus knew what would happen to Him because Jesus knew the cost of human sin. He knew that sin would cost a life, a perfect life, because sin costs every human 
life that has ever lived. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. There in the garden when man turned his back on God, when we turned our face away from God, what we received in exchange for our rebellion was that we who were created to live forever and enjoy God would be turned over to our sin in death to receive only destruction. This is what came. And Jesus knew that that sin cost the world everything. From that moment, the entire entire world plummeted into destruction. If Adam and Eve in that moment could have measured or calculated... The the damage that was going to be done by one act of disobedience to God, I wonder. I wonder if they would have made the same choice. And then I think, haven't we all, haven't I, made the same choices? Think about this, Christian. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. Think about this. The choices that you made perhaps when you were young that we call maybe sowing our, our wild oats or whatever you want to call it, we make those choices when we, when we were young, if we could have calculated the, the pain that those choices were going to bring us, do you think we would have chosen the same things? If we could have measured the outcome before we made the choice, see, sin costs everything. Sin is deadly and destructive. And friends, I just, based on the authority of God's Word, I just know that every single one of us, if given the choice in our sinful nature, would have always chosen the path of destruction rather than the path of righteousness. Jesus said, I know the cost. I know the devastation. And not only that... I know what it's going to require to save that people. Jesus, when you were when you were looking at your mess and saying, I don't know what it's going to cost, but it sure looks good right now. Jesus was saying, I'll go to the cross and pay whatever the cost is to redeem him, to buy him back, to save him from that. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful picture? No matter what we were, we were hopelessly squandering, Jesus was saying, I'll pay that cost. I'll pay it. I'll pay for it with my life so that they can be saved. This is such, such good news because He knew everything that it costs. He didn't have to measure and yet He gave His life for us anyway. Who can measure the costs of our sin? Who can measure the costs of the sin of the world and the brokenness that we face every day, but Jesus fully knows it and He chooses to pay for it anyway. Who do you seek? They answered Him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am He. Give it to Me! I'll pay for it! And they'll be free. Jesus is sovereign and He lays His life down willingly. Secondly, Jesus not only fully knew the cost of sin and chose to pay for it, Jesus fully exercised His authority over death even as He gave Himself to it. (laughs) Jesus didn't just go, you know what, I'm going to take my hands off the wheel. 
You know, we got this whole, this whole song that we sing, whatever, Jesus, take the wheel. Can I just tell you, Jesus never took his hands off of it. Jesus has been sovereign since the beginning. He's always had the wheel. Jesus has the ability in his sovereign authority to give his life to give himself over to death without ever giving death hold over him. Watch this. Follow with me. Middle of verse 5. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing there. Verse 6. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. That's a picture of authority. They're bowing before Jesus. But aren't these the same people that are about to take his life? Verse 7. So they asked them again, whom do you seek? And Jesus said, Jesus of Na- and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. It's like he's got to pull him off the ground and say, look, guys, I've already told you I'm he. Let's just let's just get to this thing. But they sense his authority. So if you seek me, let these men go. He's even setting the terms. You can arrest me, but you can't have them. Presumably 200 men. 600 men. A thousand men, however many, you're going to tell them who they can arrest. And Jesus does. And they listen. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that you had spoken of whom you gave me. I lost no one. Maybe it was at this point that Judas kissed Jesus. John doesn't tell us that. Doesn't tell us the act of betrayal there. John does not eliminate the responsibility of Judas. He says the betrayer's there, but he kind of keeps him in the shadows without ever absolving his guilt. At the same time, the betrayer there being guilty, Jesus says, I'm in charge here. The betrayer's not the one who's in charge. The soldiers are not the ones who are in charge. Peter's not the one who's in charge. And all of those things, all three of those things right now are working toward my death, but I'm still in charge. John emphasizes... The identifying of Jesus, which, by the way, again, consistent with John twenty thirty one, that you might know that he's the son of God. Jesus offers up his identity. He has to get them up off the ground in order to get them to go. But Jesus is in charge and he even tells them who they will and will not arrest. That betrayal, that arrest was unto death, but Jesus was still in charge. The ones who sought to kill him found themselves at the mercy of the one they sought to kill. And this is so, so good because it was our sin for which Jesus went to the cross. It was my guilt. It was my rebellion. And Jesus goes to the cross and in my seeking to rid my life of authority, to rid my life of Jesus, Jesus says, I'll take that death, but He remained King of kings and Lord of lords. He could do all of this because of what would later come, and that is His resurrection. Peter's sermon in Acts 2, the very one who, by the way, took the ear of the soldier in order to try to stop them from the plan, right? Peter is now on the backside of the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, no matter how much physical energy I put into that, no matter how much I I tried in my own strength to stop this, it happened and it still couldn't stop Jesus. 
He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But verse 24 says, God raised him up. Loosing the pains of death because, listen, it was not possible for him to be held by it. From the outset, Jesus gives himself over to death without ever being under the authority of death in order that we might live. Third, Jesus not only chose his authority over death, And not only does he, knowing the full cost of sin, pay the full cost of sin, Jesus fully accomplishes his mission of salvation, and he could not be kept from it. Jesus fully accomplished his mission of salvation, and he could not be kept from it. Let's look at Peter, verse 10. Then Simon Peter having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. I would have liked to have been there at that moment. Like, that's, like, end game, right? This, this, is, this is the moment, right, where Jesus wins and everybody else is defeated and Peter, or Jesus stops him. The Bible tells us that the servant's name is Malchus. We don't know much about him other really than this. Perhaps the early church would have known. Verse 11 says that Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? First off, notice the irony. The irony is that Jesus had come to save Peter. But Peter thought he could save Jesus. Isn't that so like us? We think we're heaven's next greatest hero. We think that we have something to offer that God could use and need. And in our strength, we try to offer that up and and somehow think that God received a gift when he received us. Can I say to you this morning, we bring nothing to the table. God does not need us to accomplish the salvation of sinners. Jesus did that perfectly and completely without the help of anyone else. Jesus is our sovereign Savior. In fact, in our own plans and in our own strength, we only mess it up. What would have happened if Peter's actions were to have totally altered the course of humanity. We would have all been left in our sins. Praise God that not only did Jesus fully accomplish His mission of salvation, praise God that even Peter's actions could not stop Him. Isn't it good? 
I mean, think about this. In all of my self-effort, in all of my blunders, in everything I've tried to do on my own, in my own strength, nothing that I have done or could ever do could stop the mission of God. It is a beautiful picture of who God is and how we can rest in Him, rest in what He is able to accomplish and has accomplished. Verse 11 Jesus says to him, put the sword away, Peter. By the way, that's not an argument for passiveness. Jesus is the very one who told them to go buy the swords. So it's not an argument for passiveness. It is an argument against undercutting the gospel with our own efforts. What Peter's doing is actually antithetical to the gospel. It's opposite of the gospel. It says, Jesus, I'm going to bring some things to you because you need my help. And the reality of the gospel is we can't bring anything to Jesus because we're the ones who are helpless and in need. If there was a poor, pitiful, puny, helpless somebody, it's me. If there was a unrighteous, wretched Sinner, it's me. If ever there was someone in need, it's me. And this is what is so wild about what Christ has done. Because the one who had no need, in perfect control, laid his life down, took on my death in order that he might provide me life. This is the gospel. It is the story of a sovereign Savior who could not be kept from His mission and who willingly paid the cost in order that I might be set free, forgiven of my sin, and restored to God to know Him and enjoy Him forever. Do you know this gospel? Do you know this Christ? Are you resting, Christian, in this truth? With every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to know this morning that the thing that was required for your salvation, Jesus drank the full cup. Every last bit of it. He was not, nor could He be forced to give His life for you. Neither can it be stopped that He would give His life for you. The message of the cross is that Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, laid down His life to save Himself a people and He will not fail in His mission. The only question that remains is this morning, will you believe upon Christ? Will you trust in Christ? You say, Pastor, yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, are you willing to lay aside all self-effort, all sinful destruction? Are you willing to repent of your sins that lead only to an eternal hell and trust in Christ today? Turn from them. Give everything you are to Him. You say, that's me. Yeah, I'm willing to trust Jesus today. I want to be saved. Here's what I want to ask you to do. 
in just a few moments when we stand across this room. If you don't know Christ this morning, I want to invite you to come from the place where you'll be standing. Come down this aisle. Take me by the hand and say, Today, Pastor, I want to be saved. Will you help me? I'll lead you to Jesus. If you'll turn from sin and trust in Jesus, today the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you're here in this room and you just, the gospel's lost its goodness, its worth in your heart. Would you use today and as we walk through these final hours of Jesus' life over the next weeks and months, would you use this time to be renewed in your love for the gospel? in your rest in who Jesus is. Trust in Him. Maybe there's other needs across this room. No doubt in a group this size and even those who are not here, we've got needs in this body that Jesus only you can meet. And so, if you're here this morning and you need somebody to pray with you, this altar is going to be open. You come. Grab somebody by the hand and say, will you just come pray with me? They'll do that. Maybe you're joining us online. There's some decision that God has laid on your heart. I would encourage you to reach out to us there on Facebook. God is dealing with hearts this morning. And we must respond today as the Spirit calls. Would you stand with me all across this room? God, would you have your way in our hearts? Would you move us to trust in you, our King of kings and Lord of lords, Savior, who gave his life willingly for us? And would you receive glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning. Dylan leads us. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.